0: It's interesting, it's interesting. Let me try that again. I have a voice. It is interesting how things uh, sometimes work together. I was going to th- think about being sidetracked this morning. If we know that God's purpose on this earth for us is that we glorify him, how do we get sidetracked? What do we get sidetracked with? How does that happen? I was just thinking of... Uh, Just a simple thing. Remember the uh, disciples said, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And he did this, our Father who art in heaven. Again, what's the emphasis? What's the emphasis? It's up to him, this powerful one, but our Father, how would be thy name? Hmm, maybe the very beginning of that prayer, he said, you should be concerned about my glory. About my name. Rather than, what? <laughs> oh, I hate that. Isn't that tough? You mean, is it wrong? to No, it's not wrong to take our interest before God. That's not the point. But he says the first thing. And this says, thy kingdom come. Um, you mean, I can't manipulate God to get exactly what I need? It's his kingdom that matters. Thy will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and give us this dare. We're dependent upon you, Lord. And forgive us our trespasses. Oh, my goodness. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord. We don't want to be involved with that so your name is, is is brought down. We want to glorify you. And then the same people who would say, we should never say that prayer because that's just a model prayer. We should pray our own prayer. Well, those people would also say that the last part of what we normally call the Lord's Prayer is not part of what Matthew said. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, what part of that do you disagree with? In fact, if you read 1st Chronicles 29:11, well, listen to it. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, uh, and the glory, and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Well, okay. Would you mind saying that to God? Would you mind praying that to God? So how do we get, if that's what he said to pray about, how do we get sidetracked into other things? How about even prayer? You see, prayer brings glory to God because we're exhibiting our trust to him. But how do we pray? What do we pray for? How often do we pray? How much does our prayer show our trust and submission to his stated goal of his glory? This last November, Diane and I were out in Arizona and Utah seeing the national parks. We'd never done the Grand Canyon and had a great time. And the last Sunday we were there, we were in Flagstaff in a downtown motel. And I looked for a church online and found a likely one just a few blocks away, when we got there, all of a sudden I realized the recently retired pastor is one of the guys that I read the most. I'd forgotten where he was from, and it was so much fun. Uh, I didn't meet him that day. He was speaking somewhere else that day, but it was, it was fun. And he tells the story, which I'm, in, I'm indebted to him again, about a missionary in the Philippines who was translating the book into their language, the Bible into the language of the people. She was so frustrated because they seemed to have very little passion for prayer. So she prayed to the Lord, Lord, teach these people to pray whatever it may cost. You ever prayed a prayer like that, feel a little uncomfortable with that? So the next month, she was in a helicopter crash and almost died, and she heard about the people praying fervently. This is what they were praying, Lord, don't let her die because our book is not finished yet. When do we pray? It's so strange. We do get sidetracked about being here to glorify Him. We do. It's just It's just real. Today, as I finish this series that, again, I, I say started way back in the 70s when I was in seminary and, and I've never, never done this before but we're going to look last week it was finished at the cross but was it finished? are you still here? so it was finished but it's continued and that's, that's where we are God's purpose is His glory I am not going to do a full review as I've done every week I'm assuming most of you have heard that We're going to start today, in fact, with Matthew 16, uh, a little bit before, of course, that, that Jesus died. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There had been all kinds of speculation about who this Jesus was, about who the Messiah should be, what the Messiah should do, all kinds of conjecture about how he would deliver Israel. And it was an incredibly powerful time as Rome dominated Judea. And the religious people were looking at the Old Testament Scriptures and all the traditions built around it. Most of them didn't get... That Jesus was the promised Messiah. But Peter got it. And he declared it. And Jesus was going to build on that reality of his understanding, his belief and his confession, that would be the rock of the church. Now what about Jesus' brothers? They're saying, hey, come home. Forget this Messiah complex that you have. Don't embarrass us any, anymore with those kind of claims. What are you doing? But then Jesus did go to Jerusalem. And he did get arrested. And he did suffer. And he did bleed. And he did die. And he was raised. And then the brothers believed after the resurrection. So it was finished. What he had come to do was finished. Everything from creation to resurrection was finished, but it was at the end. No, it's just the beginning. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, who believed? The disciples? Mm-mm, not yet. It's kind of strange. They had heard all the promises. Not yet. Luke 24, we have this most beautiful story about the walk to Emmaus. I'm going to read it to you, starting with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Can you put yourself in that position? Can you just imagine what they were talking about? How animated they were. What one question, one, a question one guy would have, the other would say, well, I've thought about that too. Or, I don't know about that. Or, yeah, I think i got that one. Fi-, or, they were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. Now, that feels just a little strange to me. Again, did he come from behind them so they didn't see him? Did he appear before them? If he had, I'm going, whoa, if he just appeared, I'm just assuming he came in a way that he just joined them. And he walked with them. When you think about walking with the Lord, what do you think of? In the cool of the day, the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It just—I j- just love the phrase. But they were kept from recognizing that him. He asked them, "What are you discussing together as you walk? What are you talking about here?" They stood still; their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, "Are you the only one visited in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Where have you been?" You've been paying any attention at all? You've been on vacation and don't know what's going on? Shut off your phone? What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Who do you say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? Well, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Just more than a little disappointed. Didn't happen. Didn't come through. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. I, I love that phrase, I'm not going to comment on that. In addition, some of I guess I did, some of the some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. We are confused. He said to them, How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, Ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Can you remember what that's like? When your heart burned within you and you reckon in recognition of who this Jesus was? One of the most. Um, I would say, momentous stories ever told to me it was told by a guy that, that Jim knows very well or knew very well. He was a bit of a Bible scholar at Liberty Chapel. In my early years, early, year, early in the year, I preached through the book of John, showing who Jesus is. A couple years later, I had a men's Bible study through the book of John, showing who Jesus with. About four or five years later, this older guy came to me on one Sunday, and he said, say, Alan, I want to talk to you after church today. And I said, okay, we'll talk. He said, say, Alan, I've just been reading John. Jesus claimed to be God. And I said, yeah, he did. Yeah, that's right, yeah, he did. He said, that's why they killed him. They said he was blaspheming, claiming to be God. But he was. I said, yeah, that's, yeah, good, yeah. And he said, and I believe it. I've never heard much more joyful news in my life. How'd that happen? Oh, because my preaching was so great. Because I led a wonderfully in-depth Bible study of the same book I preached. No, the Spirit of God opened his eyes, and he recognized Jesus. Verse thirty-three. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and saying, "It's true! It's true! He's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's a... Do you want to sing? No, you don't want to sing. He's alive." He's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What an incredible, what an incredible thing. 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the, ministry, or the message of reconciliation. Okay, well, wait a minute now. What do we start out with? Abraham will make of you a great nation, and in you all the nations that. Oh, all the earth will. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Paul's saying to us that we have this message of reconciliation. That God was in the world reconciling us as sinners to him, the righteous one. The Lord said to Abram and Genesis twelve one to 3. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make unto you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. A father to a great nation, a blessing to all nations. The miracle that took place in his older age through his barren wife. Now Jesus says, after all this... All the way through the Old Testament, when there was this ebb and flow of his name being glorified and his name being brought low, now he's doing a new thing. He's building his church. Upon this rock, Peter, I will build a church. Abraham's ministry, the whole world would go through the tri- 12 tribes. The church would go through the 12 apostles. Can you imagine Abraham in heaven when God is working in the apostles and the church is getting started? Abraham's saying, Well, this ain't the way we used to do it. No, no, no. He's praising God for what he sees. It's the new thing. And I'm not going to treat this next little section as though that I have any uh, conclusions. I'm just going to point out a couple things. Is the church the same as Israel? Uh, is the church just a continuation of Israel? Or is the church parallel to Israel? Is the church totally unconnected with Israel? That's been a question in the church for centuries. Again, let me just let's see how they're similar. The people of God in the Old Testament who were believers are the people of God. The people of God in the New Testament times and in, in now, who are the people of God are the people of God. so that's similar. the Old Testament had impostors, false believers. The New Testament has imposters, false believers in the church. Everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Both the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God are special treasured people for, of God. Whether or not there are many or whether there are a remnant, Whether or not they're kings or whether or not they're among the poor on earth. The people in the Old Testament, the people in the New Testament are chosen by God as His dearly beloved. Very similar. Both of them have a unity in leadership. The Old Testament had leadership within the believing community. Through the priest and through the prophets. Even through the kings at times. The New Testament does through the church as it's set up with leadership. But Christ is the head. Both are kingdoms. Israel was a kingdom under King David. But he says, pray thy kingdom come. There is a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom under King Jesus. God is seen in the Old Testament as the husband of Israel. God is seen in the New Testament in Revelation as the husband, Christ being the husband, the church being the bride. So they're the same. Well, except when they're different. Israel had a king as a leader. The church has many elders or pastors within a congregation or can Israel had one centralized place for redemption to take place. Remember last week? There seemed to be no place for anyone to be redeemed. Christ's glory had departed. There was nowhere to go because it had to happen right there. God dwelt at the temple in Jerusalem. In the church, they're all over. I really wish that so many times we could... We could have a greater understanding that, maybe you didn't know this, that Harvest is not the only church that God has. It took us a long time at Liberty Chapel to even think you were, but no. No, it's just, think about the round of the world. God's church and where they're meeting and how they're meeting and how they're worshiping. There are many places around the world, innumerable localized channels of redemption. Each believer now has become a priest as opposed to the Old Testament. Each is to take the message of Christ out to the world. God lives in the temple individually of believers and in the church as he lived in the temple of the Old Testament. Israel was Jewish, purely Jewish Including converts to Judaism who became part of the seed of Abraham, the channel of redemption for a Gentile was to become a Jewish convert first as a way to gain access to Jehovah God. The church consists of all of people of all tongues and tribes and nations and languages and peoples. The international church is to go and make disciples of all nations rather than asking all the nations to come to the centralized location. Um, Maybe that would be a good application for us. Israel, as an earthly nation, fought many battles for strategic, political, or national advantage. The church doesn't do that. Well, we did try to do it a little bit during the Crusades, but that didn't work very well. The church must learn to live in all societies as the non-political society fighting spiritual battles. Did I say you're not to be involved in politics? No, I did not. But that's not our primary purpose. The church is not to grow in America so that America can be saved. That's not the way that goes. The church itself is the first priority. How will we live? When our society is totally secular, can you see that happening? Is it right before our eyes right now? When you are the freak? The real freak because you believe in a god that you didn't create? Again, how it's different. Israel lives in the pre-shadowing of God's redemption. Until Christ came, there was much mystery. Now there's still mystery. But the church lives in the light of the Christ who came to earth and lived a perfect life and suffered and bled and died and was raised according to the eternal plan. Acts tells the story of the early church's growth in Acts 1, 1 1-2. Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, in Acts, he continues that story. In Acts one eight he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me repeat a little bit of what I said a while ago. This was just to the... Who? The priest of the Old Testament? No. Was this just to the apostles? Nope. This was to be to the church. The church, you, collectively and individually, will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then Pentecost happened. And God's presence was clearly seen, His glory shone out. Everyone was amazed. The church exploded in its growth to the Jews but only to the Jews in Jerusalem at that time. This church, this church in Acts, was characterized by the apostles' teaching. It was characterized by fellowship of of them as they went day by day to each other's house. It was characterized by communion and baptism. It was characterized by prayer. There was great awe. There were miracles. There was unity. There was mercy toward people. There was hospitality. There was praise to God. There was favor with their community. There was evangelism. There was boldness. There was numerical growth. There was some insider sinfulness they had to deal with. Maybe God did by striking them dead. There were problems they had to deal with. There was persecution and opposition and martyrdom. The church led by Peter but practiced by the whole church. And they were a glorifying God. Here we go again. Remember the Old Testament and those times of the, of the yo-yoing? They're glorifying God. They forget God. The persecution forced the church out of Judea to Samaria. They went out of the temple. They were dispersed to the world by God. God forced them out of Jerusalem. God initiated the Gentile inclusion into the church in a dramatic fashion through Peter. Remember the mes- or the. The, uh, what was it, came down from heaven? The blanket came down from heaven with all the unclean animals on it. Whatever I've called holy, you don't call unclean. Gentiles no longer had to become Jews to be included into the church. You can say amen to any of this. It's all good. It's pretty basic stuff. They would just simply repent and believe and be received, be forgiven. The leadership of the church was transferred to Paul, who with Barnabas would take the gospel to the world. Paul was uniquely qualified to lead this expansion to the world and uniquely qualified to write to the churches for our benefit. I'm so happy that God included Paul. I I love Ephesians and I I mean that's just good stuff. So this first expression of the church the true expression of the church, the inclusive church, was in Antioch. Sometimes we uh, in Montgomery County say, it's kind of sad. We're just all the same and we, we don't have real different people and different nations and languages and people. Well, I mean, I know enough of you to look around this room and there's some real, there's some real different people here. Is different a good word, Ben? I mean, uh, your wife thought about you that way. I know. I've heard her testimony. You know, just just think about it. We're all different. There's a lot of acceptance that must take place. As God puts us together. We don't have to go to a melting pot to see that. We've already got it. But in Acts 13, 1 to 3, Now the church at Antioch, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the, te- Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So people of different languages, people of different races, people of different social, economic groups. And Saul was there. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. While they were doing the work of the Lord in prayer... Glorifying God, God called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The church was becoming international. The church was becoming multicultural. But it was still unified under the Spirit of God and the authority of Scripture. This was being done intentionally and completely by the direction and enabling of the Holy Spirit. Acts details the three great missionaries of Paul before it ends with his imprisonment. The Jewish people continually rejected Jesus as Messiah, but it's not over. Jesus promised to come back, and he was promised that he, that he had a, still had a plan for his people, the Jewish people. And he promised he was going away to make a place for his people to be with him forever, and God is glorified in revelation uh, chapter 5 got to be one of my most most favorite passages in scripture and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each had a harp each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people and they sang a new song it's kind of interesting, the stuff that may be, maybe a little comments on our worship. These golden bowls full of incense are the prayers of God's people. And they sang only hymns that came from the psalter. Okay. They sang new songs, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And heaven was filled with praise to the glory of God. They worship directly the one whose hands bore the nail scars. All of creation is worshipping God. This is not something I asked Jay to do this week because it was. It's I'm going to read part of the last three chapters of the Bible. I just want you to listen, considering the glory of God. Then, of course, John, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to, deliver them, to gather them for battle, their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever." Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. I I just can't, I can't really get that picture. But I get it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Do you remember Ten Commandments? And they said, Moses, we can't even look up there. It's too much. When the fire was on the mountain, can't do it. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And I cringe. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. His people. And God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Mm-hmm. And He was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake of fire that, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death and skipping over to verse 15 and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city in its gates and walls this great great city but back in verse 8, he says, Come, I will show you the bride, the, the wife of the Lamb. And it's this new Jerusalem where the glory of God is shown. And he says, And I saw no temple in the city, in verse 22. For its temple to the Lord God is to the Lord God the Almighty and to the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it. Nor anyone who does, not, who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he said to me, and this is chapter 22, verse 8. These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. Then down in verse fourteen or twelve, Behold, I am coming soon. Bring in my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David." The bride and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And the one who hears says, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. What? Amen. What? Come, Lord Jesus. Interesting how this ends. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Creation, eternity. God's purpose is His glory. All the way through. As we look at the uh, applications, I'm going to just point out two or three this week. And we'll close. Number two. God works with individuals to graciously work into the whole world. God... Specifically in his church, but not just in his church, in the Old Testament, in Israel. He uses individual people to bring his glory to multiplied people. You were not chosen to have no impact. You were chosen to have impact. Number two is, is five. Five. God's full of grace. Oh, God's full of grace. Can you see it in Israel's history? Can you see it in the history of the church? Where in the world are we in the church in America? What's going on? God's full of grace. God's full of grace in your life. How many fits and starts have you had? How many times have you had when your interest was not specifically on God's glory? Your interest was on maybe your own glory or maybe some relief. And then number nine. I want to tell you, the Bible ends well. The Bible starts well. God created. And then we have this incredibly beautiful picture. We are to be optimistic about a good God who has chosen to glorify himself. Through us and in us. With me, God is sovereign over all creation. Say it, please. God is sovereign over all creation. I will trust him. And if you do, if you do, he will be glorified in you. Is that easy? (laughs) Oh, that's another one of these points. Let's pray. I I don't even know sometimes, Lord, how to to consider um, what it would be like if You hadn't shown Yourself to us. I confess there's things I don't see, and I confess there's things that I see that I don't obey, and I confess that life can be really hard in trusting You. But Lord, I, I can't, I just can't, conceive of what it would be like if we didn't know what you were trying to do and what you were doing and how we fit into that so thank you again from genesis to revelation from creation through eternity future whatever that is of you being very purposeful toward your glory and for our fitting in to declare it. And then we also confess that there is nothing on this earth, there's really nothing on this earth that gives us greater fulfillment than fitting with that, even if it's difficult. So hear our prayer. Glorify yourself through this church, through your church. Glorify yourself through each of us as individuals. And glorify yourself even in your judgment of the unbelieving world. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen.